The first reading is taken from Matthew, chapter 14, verse 1 to 5, and can be found on page 981 of the Pew Bibles. John the Baptist beheaded. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the reports about Jesus, and he said to his attendants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead. This is why miraculous powers are at work in him. Now Herod had arrested John and bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For John had been saying to him, it's not lawful for you to have her. Herod wanted to kill John, but he was afraid of the people because they considered him a prophet. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is taken from 1 Corinthians, chapter 6, verses 12 to 20, and can be found on page 1148 in the Church Bibles. That's 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verses 12 to 20. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food. But God will destroy them both. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a man commits are outside his body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, it, who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. It would be a real encouragement for me this morning if you would uh, have your Bibles open at that reading we've just had in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Um, page 1148. Um, we're going to be spending a fair bit of time in that passage, so it'd be probably really helpful for you if you do have your own Bible open uh, this morning. 
Um, there's a chap by the name of Anthony Bourdain. Uh, he's been named by Taste Craze, an online food specialist, as one of the top five most influential chefs in the world. Anybody heard of him? Yeah, a few of you have. Okay. I hadn't. And he says this, your body is not a temple. It's an amusement park. Enjoy the ride. I wonder if you agree with Bourdain. Life is all about an amusement ride. One of my um, heroes is called John Chapman, and he's written this book uh, called A Sinner's Guide to Holiness. Uh, it's really helpful. It's been written by an Australian for Australians, so it's really simple to understand. You should get a copy. <laughs> Um, and um, he says this, he says, I've been a Christian for nearly 60 years. And becoming a Christian, he said, has been the best thing that's ever happened to me. It's wonderful to know that Jesus is present with me all the time by his spirit. Uh, it's great to know that my sins are forgiven and that I'll be part of the new creation. It's deeply reassuring to know that God will guide me. But having said all that, I must admit that the day-to-day -day seeking to live in obedience to Jesus has been very difficult. How I long to be holy and to be just like the Lord Jesus Christ. Achieving it is a different matter. He goes on to say that the first 60 years are the hardest. So, well, personal pleasure on the one hand or battling to live for Jesus Christ on the other. They're two very different ways of seeing the world. I wonder where you're at. Well, we're back in Corinth and we're continuing in our series thinking about sex and relationships and our identity found in Christ. And we're in a church that's got mixed up thinking on this subject. Athens and Corinth and, and Ephesus were really big, leading prominent cities in the Roman Empire. In fact, they were the three leading cities. If Athens was the intellectual capital of the world, then Corinth and Ephesus was the place for retail therapy. Um, Corinth was known for two things, these huge shopping centres with bazaars and markets, and secondly, its red light district. About um, 2,000 feet behind the city stood this huge temple to Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And in the temple, there were a thousand female slaves which served in the temple and roamed the streets of the city at night as prostitutes. Oscar Wilde wrote in his complete works, to be really medieval, one should have no body. To be really modern, one should have no soul. But to be really Greek, one should have no clothes. And that's the kind of picture that we get for this city here in Corinth. F flick back over the page with me to um, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 8. In and amongst this city, verse 8, are rogue traders. There's cheats. There's people swept up with materialism. It's very contemporary. In verse 9, um, there's sexual immorality everywhere. There's idolatry, male prostitutes, homosexual offenders, thieves, gluttons, people constantly smashed on alcohol, slanderers, swindlers, the list goes on. And verse 9 and verse 11 both say the same. Living like this is wicked, actually, and will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
And it's into this city that we're told in chapter one that the apostle Paul, God's man, has come. He's come into this culture and into this city with another chap called Sosthenes to unleash the power of the gospel, the message of Christ crucified. Foolishness and a stumbling block to many, but for those who believe, it's power and the wisdom of God. Well, how, how are we to be effective? And how were they effective as Christians in St. Jude's Church Corinth, if I can put it like that? Well, we need conviction. And I think we need conviction in three areas. The first area is this, that the body counts. We need conviction about that. Second area is that the body is for the Lord. And thirdly, that the Lord is for the body. So here's my first point. Your body counts. Have a look at verse 13 with me. It says, food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will destroy them both. Your body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. What you do with your body says it all about who you are. In the ancient world, the Greeks despised their bodies. They thought that the divine spark, the soul or the spirit on the inside, was what was precious and what, what really mattered. That, the, um, that this divine spark had to be liberated and set free from the body. They had this proverb that said, the body is a tomb, a tomb to be set free from. And I think this line of uh, thinking leads really into two directions. Uh, if we're just saying that the spirit or the divine spark is what's important, then we may restrict our body and kind of hold things back from our body and treat our body really badly. Or, on the other hand, we won't care at all about our body and we'll do what we want, when we want, with whoever we want. And in both directions, we say the same thing. The body doesn't really matter. The body doesn't really count. J.K. Rowling uh, kind of picks up this idea in one of her characters in the Harry Potter books, the Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. She says, whatever happens to your body, your soul will survive untouched. And I actually want to say that's not true. That isn't true. The problem with that kind of thinking is that it's wrong. We can't compartmentalise who we are. We are spirit, soul and body. Uh, we, we can't separate ourselves from our bodies. What I do in my body, that is what I do. Have a look at this phrase that Paul uses twice in verse 12. Everything is permissible for me. That's what these Corinthians were saying. Then Paul says, but not everything is beneficial. Perhaps the Corinthian church had used this kind of line of thinking to justify some of their behaviours. Remember when we were thinking about chapter chapter 5, a couple of weeks ago, um, a man sleeps with his father's wife. Everything's permissible for me. Of course I can do that. Of course I can sleep with my father's wife, my mother-in-law. Uh, I can take my brothers and sisters to court, chapter 6, verse 6. Everything's permissible for me to do that. Paul kind of agrees with this, 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 this Christian freedom against the Jewish legalism that was being taught in the day. But he wants to qualify it saying, Everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. There's some things that you might find yourself doing that may not be expressly forbidden, but the results are so disastrous they're completely ruled out for the Christian. 
Some of the things they were doing in their culture and some of the things we do, well, they don't benefit us, rather they cause harm. I wonder, can we see that with those two pretty extreme examples? And I pray now that God, by his spirit, might even be bringing things to light in our own lives that we know need to be dealt with, uh, that, that, that God needs to deal with and to break down. Things that promise to be beneficial and good to us, but actually are destructive and cause us harm. We need conviction uh, about those. Secondly, uh, Paul moderates this idea of Christian freedom at the end of verse 12, saying, everything's permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. And again, I think there's a real danger here of kind of pushing this idea of Christian freedom by doing things to say, yeah, we've been set free by, uh, we've been set free because of Jesus, and we just push the boundaries to see how far we can go to show people that we're free as Christians. But actually, Paul's saying, be really careful how far you go with that line of thinking too. All things are permissible for me as a Christian, but some things cause harm, and other things are going to try and ensnare you and trap you and hold you. Another popular saying was found at the beginning of verse 13, food for the stomach and the stomach for food. And then it seems that Paul links that with the second part of this verse. Uh, God will destroy them both. The body's not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord. I wonder why kind of Paul's kind of putting food and sexual immorality together in the same verse. And I think, I think there's a parallel that Paul's wanting to show us here in this text. Look down with me. They saw that just as food was for the stomach and the stomach was for food... So sexual immorality is for the body. The conclusion, sexual immorality is just as natural as eating food. Just enjoy the ride, Bourdain would say. Just enjoy it, go with it. But, verse 13, God will destroy both food and the stomach. So there's no eternal plan for our bellies, I'm quite glad about that. Um, Or for Mary Berry's latest cookbook, um, the, food in the, new, the food in the new creation that God is preparing will be far better than Mary Berry's latest recipes for lamb hot pots or whatever it is. No plan for the belly, but a plan for our bodies. Do we see that in verse 14? By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. Jesus Christ was bodily raised after he'd been crucified. You and I too will be bodily raised. We will be given new bodies Uh, for the new creation. Therefore, what we do in the body and with our body, it counts, it matters. Your body counts. That's the first point. Secondly, the body's for the Lord. We see that again at the end of verse 13. The body's not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. In Romans 12, Paul picks up this idea (coughs) and he says, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. What we do with our bodies during the week demonstrate who we worship. The body is not just for our own personal satisfaction and gratification. Actually, they're to be set apart for the Lord, holy uh, for him and pleasing in his sight. In verse 15, have a look at verse 15 there. It says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Paul's used this expression. It was kind of this do you not know rhetoric 
four times uh, in this chapter. And it says, you know this. You know that your bodies are members of Christ himself. My body, your body, if you're a Christian, has become part of Jesus' body. You've been united to him. You've been glued to Jesus. You've been joined together. A little bit like, you know when you get kind of a t-shirt and then some dye and then you kind of tie-dye them together, the, the kind of the yellow t-shirt and the purple kind of sponge, you've kind of screwed it up and washed it. Now you can't separate the dye from the t-shirt. They've been joined. It's like that for the Christian. We've been joined to Jesus. We're connected to him. We're united to him if we're trusting in him. And if you're not yet trusting in Jesus, well, it'd be a great day for you to do that, to put your trust in Jesus. Because God's got a great plan. He's building a big Jesus-like family. A family in which God lives by his spirit. And that's what makes the image that Paul paints next so stark. If we're God's building site, if if we're God's holy temple and royal people, then have a look at verse 15. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said, the two will become one flesh. But he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Do you see what Paul's saying here? If you've been joined with Jesus, if you're in Christ and trusting in him, well then if you're to join yourself to a prostitute, It's like taking the Lord Jesus Christ and his church with you into that situation. It's like I'm uniting them with me in in the act I'm committing. Shall I do that, Paul? Well, look at the end of verse 15. You see the answer for yourself. It's very, very strong language in the Greek. Let that never come into existence. Let that never be born. It's the unthinkable to do that. Well, in their context, for the Corinthians, what was on offer? A cult prostitute from another God, joining Jesus in the church there. Don't don't do that. What's on offer for us? Well, perhaps it's less physical prostitution, but a virtual world of instant gratification at our fingertips. The smartphone, the device in our pocket. Sexual sin comes right to you. It's only a few clicks away. Uh, if you've got one of these in your pocket. Verse 16 uh, says that when you sleep with a prostitute or engage in sexual sin, you become one body with that person. You know, that's marriage language that we get from the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 2. Since the creation of the world, God's plan, his blueprint for marriage is between a man and a woman in lifelong Faithful commitment. That's the place for sexual relationship. Anything outside of that is outside of God's plan for life. So what's the significance of having this text here? Well, if you're one body with the Lord and with his people and you're joined, and you one body yourself with a prostitute, well, you're two-timing not only your spouse if you're married, but you're two-timing your God who rescued you. Can you see the seriousness Uh, of what's being said here. What else is this saying? Well, it's saying, whoever you're sexually active with, they become your one flesh. So verse 16 down to verse 18, well, I think at the very least, spells out the end to casual sex. Look at verse 18. It says, all other sins 
a person commits are outside their body, but the one who sins sexually sins against their own body. Well, if you agree with me and say that the body counts, and if you agree that the body's for the Lord, well, then we engage in this kind of behavior at our own peril. I wonder if you know this. 2,222 pounds are spent on internet pornography every second. More than 28,000 people are viewing pornography every second. If the revenue generated from a small place like South Korea alone from its porn industry was, was, was collected, it would feed 58% of the world's hungry. Do you know the porn industry makes more money than all professional sports combined globally? Isn't that incredible? I wonder how do we combat this? How do we think about this? Firstly, we've got to see that this is a problem, not only in our society, but also in the church. 47% of professing Christians say that pornography is a problem in the home. And one in three people regularly use pornography. One in three. I think these figures show there's a serious misunderstanding of the seriousness of sin uh, that the Bible speaks about and sexual sin. And let me just say this as well. If you're struggling in this area, you're not alone in this. I mean, these, these statistics tell us that. You're not alone. Please speak to someone. Please come forward. Jit and I would love to talk and pray with you today. Um, and there's opportunities to be prayed for and to be thinking about this. Bring it to light. Let the light of Christ shine in this area on your life. And if you're not struggling uh, in this area uh, of sexual temptation, well, that's fantastic and that's a great gift from God for you. But we live in a time and a world that's saturated in this. And there's a real problem. We need to be praying for our brothers and sisters in the church and in the world uh, about this if we're ever going to think about making a dent in this huge global problem. Well, the third conviction that we need we need to know that the Lord is for the body. Do we see that there? Uh, <coughs> excuse me, end of verse 13. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you know the Lord is for you? Do you know that? That God loves you? That God delights in you as his children? That he's, he's for you, not against you. He wants to prosper you and not to harm you. He's like a loving parent always wanting to take care of their child, no matter what they've done. I came across this story about a woman who'd made her living uh, outside of Rio de Janeiro. She was very poor and lived in a dirt floor house, but she had a beautiful daughter that she doted on. And her one fear was that one day her daughter would leave home and go to Rio de Janeiro to try and make a better life for herself. She came home one day after work and found a note on the table saying, I've gone to Rio to find a life. The mother knew what would happen, so she took all the money that she had, and she didn't have a lot, and she bought a bus ticket to go to Rio. When she arrived, she went into a photo booth and started making pictures of herself. She then went out looking for her daughter. She went everywhere. She spent months. Uh, she went into every hotel 
and disco and restaurant and club that she could find. Everywhere she went, she left the picture of her photo. <coughs> Excuse me. And, as, and then one day, her daughter was coming down the stairs in a hotel. And she was, she was with a man, and she'd become a prostitute. And the girl at that point had looked like she'd aged. She'd aged 15 years. And as she's coming down the stairs, she looks across and she sees something in um, a mirror. And she catches a glance and, and, and she recognises the picture. It's a picture of her mum. And she grabs it and she can't believe it. And she, and she turns it over and she reads on the back. She reads, I don't care what you've become. And I don't care what you've done. Please, come home, mum. Isn't that an incredible story? The kind of... God is for us. He's not against us. And God doesn't care what we've become. God just wants us to come home. He wants us to come back to him. And I think that's what Paul means in verse 18 when he says flee. Whatever it is that you need to flee from, flee from it and turn back to God. Put your trust in him. Put your trust in him. And this account ends not with a list of kind of do's and don'ts, but with a transaction. Look at that transaction there in verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you've received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. You see, the price that Jesus paid for us to come home is that he gave his life to rescue us. He was willing to be crucified so that we could be set free from whatever it is that's holding us back. He wants us to come home and to be with him and enjoy relationship uh, with him. He has set us free from the wages of sin being death. This is a beautiful picture that the Lord Jesus Christ has purchased us not just from our sin but from God's anger at our sin. He's paid the great price. He, he was the great cost. Do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who you've received from God. You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, honour God. Honour God with your body. I wonder if we can just let our minds just wander just for a moment, just daydream what the world would be like if there was an end to sexual immorality, if, if there was no more. Think of all the issues that would be gone if people waited until they were married. There'd be an end of prostitution and sex trafficking. There'd be no more teenage pregnancies, no more uh, abortions and unwanted babies. There'd be no more STD clinics. There'd be an end to AIDS. There'd be greater stability in the home and relationships in the home. People wouldn't be carrying around the scars of broken relationships. But this is not going to happen until the church starts modelling a better story to our society. And do you know what? The Corinthian church did that. They modelled a better story and transformed their culture. And we can do the same because God is a God of miracles. He can do the impossible. But for that, we need God's help. Let's pray.
Lord God, this is a huge area in our society. Uh, People are enslaved to all kinds of passions and pleasures. And we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would liberate people from their bondage and bring them to freedom in the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us to be a church that models a better story for the world, that holds out hope and grace because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you promised to raise us bodily. Help us to use our bodies in a way that brings you glory and honour, this day and always. Amen.